Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you, man. Praise God. Amen. Let me begin by saying Happy New Year. It is a new year. Um, a few, a few uh, weeks before the new year came, the Lord said to me, because I was complaining about something. I know none of you ever complained, but I was, I was complaining about something. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, he said, he said, gratitude and respect create happiness. I've been telling everybody I meet that. Gratitude and respect. And I thought, well, wait, wait a minute. What, what, why? Well, number one, the scripture says to give thanks unto the Lord. But then we need to be grateful to one another, for one another. Um, the, I, I, when I talk to people, I often hear about what they don't have. If you've ever done any counseling, that's what you hear all the time. It's what I don't have and what they're not doing and uh, why it's not working. We need to put, a, put, the, put our brakes on right here. We need to begin to be thankful. Thankful to God. Thankful to Him. I mean, I'm, I've got an old iPad today. And I thought, man, I wish I had a new iPad. And then I had to stop and think, well, thank you, Lord, that I have an iPad that still works. Okay, there are a lot, there's a lot to be thankful for. And there's a lot that we don't have, but there's a lot to be thankful for and respect. The scripture says that we are to fear the Lord. That means to honor Him, to respect Him. The scripture also says that we're to prefer one another. When you learn to be grateful and respectful, I'm not talking about just the ones who deserve your respect. I'm talking about the waitress at the restaurant who brings you the wrong food. I'm talking about the airline ticket agent who is rude and is ready to reroute you to Connecticut. <laughs> respectful. To be respectful. We walked up to a rental car counter yesterday and we were respectful to the driver who took us from our hotel to the rental car place respectful to the people and ask a question or two and the guy says well we have a car for you we're just going to upgrade you three times hey. well we you know we didn't complain at all <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but i've discovered over the years the bible says that esther found favor favor is grace by the way you realize that the scriptures, how did she do that? She's in there with all these other virgins, but she was respectful. And she was grateful. The scripture says that Daniel found favor. He didn't, he, he didn't go in there and say, we're not eating your crappy food. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it that way. We're not eating that food. No, no. He asked permission. He found favor. Noah found favor. Saved his whole family. See, this favor, this grace comes as a discovery, but we need to make sure that we respect God, honor Him, honor His Word, and that we're grateful. We're grateful. You know, 
I like it that, that Pastor Ron was talking about blessing. I, I like blessing. Uh, this is interesting to me. When you see a Christian, you say, how you doing? And they say, I'm blessed. Have you ever asked this question? What does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? What is, what is that even talking about? Well, I've got a car that runs. Is that the blessing? Let me tell you what the blessing is. The, the scripture, the, the word blessing in both the Old and New Testament, the word means to speak well over. It has to do with a conferment, as if a king is knighting someone and confers them and says, rise up and do all that a knight is supposed to do. The blessing of the Lord is simply this. It's God's empowerment in your life to do what you're supposed to be doing. That's when you're blessed. That's why the blessing of the Lord makes you rich. And he has no sorrow to it. Because it's his empowerment in you. Somebody sneezes and you go, bless you. What are you saying? You know where that comes from, don't you? That comes from people used to believe that when you sneezed, you sneezed your spirit out. And when they said, bless you, that somehow magically your spirit came back into you and you don't die. Okay? No, no. I'm blessed because I'm empowered by God to do what he called me to do. And by the way, the scripture says if you're blessed, you can't be cursed. The curse causeless cannot come because we are the blessed of the Lord, empowered to do exactly what he called us to do. <laughs> Isn't that good? So I am thankful today to be in Florida. I'm thankful to be in this sunshine state. No, I'm thankful to be here. I mean, if I could choose any state in the world, in the country to live in, well, it would be Texas, but I love Florida too. Uh, you know, we love coming to Florida. We love Ron. We, you know, Ron has been a friend of ours for a long time. And I appreciate your friendship. It's never waned one step of the way, and I appreciate that. Amen. And we do. I, this morning, I have to tell you, I'm looking at the platform up here, and I see my grandson playing that drum, and it was worth the trip right there. <laughs> Just to see him there. Praise the Lord. I was thinking this morning, anybody remember the movie um, years ago from Walt Disney? And uh, uh, it was Alice in Wonderland. And Alice goes to Wonderland, and she meets the, the caterpillar, and he's puffing on a hookah. I don't know what that was saying to us as children, but he's puffing on this hookah. And he says to her, he asks her a question, he says, who are you? Remember that? As he's blowing the smoke out. Who are you? Now, when he asked the question, it caught, Alice thought she knew the answer to the question right away, but in the conversation we found out she didn't really know the answer to the question because she was truly unsure of who she was. Who are you? Who are you? And then, and then later on in our lives, we've seen the Johnny Depp version of that, um, of that movie where Johnny Depp, as the Mad Hatter, ask, tells Alice, he said, he said, you've lost your muchness. You remember that? Anybody see those two movies? Y'all are probably more spiritual than me and don't go to movies, but I think sometimes about this. I think when I think about the church and sometimes I think about me, sometimes we don't know who we are 
And sometimes we've lost our muchness. Sometimes it seems like that the church is not making an impact on society, but society is making an impact on the church, and it's because we don't know who we are. It's because we've lost our muchness. I remember the night that I got baptized in the Holy Spirit back in 1973. And I mean, the Holy Spirit touched my life to the degree that it changed everything about me. And I never prayed in tongues before. And I mean, once I started, I couldn't stop. I mean, I guess I could have, but I didn't want to stop. And my friends took me to, to McDonald's. After, after this meeting, and man, we're just praying in tongues and excited, and walked up to the counter at McDonald's, and the little girl says, what would you like? And I just started yelling in tongues to her. And they kind of pushed me aside and said, he'll have a Big Mac. But I'm, there was some muchness right there, because I didn't care what she thought. I didn't care what her background was. I didn't care if that offended her. Now, there's not a lot of wisdom going on here, but I didn't care because there was something about what was going on in me. I mean, at that moment, I knew that I was loved by God. I knew that I was born again. I knew that His power was on me. It was in me. It was coming through me. I knew who I was. Now, I haven't gone back to McDonald's and prayed in tongues at the counter in a long time. Not that that's a requirement, by the way. But we need to know that, that if we understand who we are, we will make a difference in the world. Right. We'll make a difference in society. I remember several months ago when the Supreme Court issued a decision about homosexual marriage. Every Christian that I met the next day was depressed. And it's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? This country is headed for hell, and what are we going to do? If you know who you are, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't change who you are. Amen. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't. See, if you know who you are, that can't be shaken. But you've got to know who you are based on the right information, based on the right things. You've got to know exactly who you are. See, when times get tough, and we get frustrated it's because we don't know who we are when we go through a tough time and and we begin to act like the world you know get deeper in debt get a divorce quit the job whatever it is when we act like the world it's because we don't know who we are we don't understand it. We, we, we think we might know who we are, but we don't understand who we are. I mean, we've got to know that we have to have the right identity in Christ. As Christians, by the way, you look really good today. But as Christians, we need to improve our look. What do I mean by that? We need to improve how we look at things. How are you looking? When you look in the mirror... How do you look at you and what do you say to you? If you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, you are so stupid. My, you're ugly. My, I wish you would do better. I was telling Tammy, I heard someone this week, they, they, said, they said, if you would sit down at a table with your best friend and you would say to them what you say to you, would they still be your best friend? 
Probably not. What do you, how do you look at yourself? How do you look at what's going on around you? How do you look at things? How do you look at this promise of God? Is, what, is, is it impossible? Or is it possible? Are you a diligent doer? Or are you a helpless hoper? How do you look at things? How do you see it? We need to improve our look. Thomas Edison said, Knowledge without application is meaningless. We need to get beyond just knowing things in our heads and become people who really, really know and operate based on who we really are in Christ. I want you to think about a passage of Scripture with me. This is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, if you want to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We've got to know who we are. And when we know who we are, the circumstances won't change who we are, and we'll be able to make a stand for Jesus Christ. We'll be able to stand for our families, stand for our communities, stand for Jesus. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Bible here says we weren't redeemed with corruptible things, and then it's interesting to me that it says that, that those corruptible things are gold and silver. God redeemed us. The word redeemed, I think you probably know this, it means to pay a ransom for. It, it means to break the bondage off. We, God paid a ransom for us with the blood of Jesus. The bondage of sin, the bondage of sickness, the bondage of the curse of the law was broken off of us by virtue of the blood of Jesus, right? Right. Amen. It says that it, we, it wasn't with corruptible things like gold. Now, all that man can do with his religion regarding your redemption is vain. It is absolutely worthless. It is, it is, it, it just, it just is not any good. All right? The Bible says that gold and silver are corruptible. And that's an interesting statement to me, as Ron was saying. I've been looking at lots of gold and silver. What happens if you melt gold? It changes form. You don't lose any gold. Do you realize that all the gold in the world that was in the world 100 years ago is still in the world? There's not a shortage of gold that's all still here. Okay, now we're using up the water, but we're not using up the gold. If you put gold in some water and you leave it on the shelf for 100 years, will it rust? No, it doesn't rust. It doesn't corrupt. As far as we know, it doesn't corrupt at all. But the reality of it is, compared to the blood of Jesus, it is corrupted. And based on eternity, it is corrupted. Now, they're going to pave the streets up in heaven with it, but it, it, it's, it's corruptible. 
Okay? Let me read you that passage of Scripture that, that I just read to you from 1 Peter. This is out of the New Century Version. It says, You know that in the past you were living in a worthless way. Worthless. It says, A way passed down from people who lived before you, but you were saved from that useless life. Useless. Worthless. You were bought not with something that ruins like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, who was like a pure and perfect lamb. Now, I don't know if that, if that resonates with you at all, but I grew up hearing the words, worthless, useless. You are worthless. You are useless. It's interesting to me. Sometimes we grow up in a home where parents will use those words. Calling their children worthless or useless. Maybe not to their faces, but behind their backs. Talking about them in ways that talk about how much trouble they are. About how, how uh, expensive they are. All those things that help that child grow up feeling worthless. Useless. Like that child is a burden to somebody. I'm going to tell you something. The devil works over time to get you to think you are worthless. Even when you're a little boy or a little girl and you step onto the playground and kids start making fun of other kids, what are they doing? They're challenging their value. They're challenging what they're worth. Wow. I remember when I was in the fourth grade, I was the first kid to weigh 100 pounds. Other, we had two boys that were really obese, but I was the first, quote, normal-sized kid to weigh 100 pounds. Let me just tell you something. When you weigh 100 pounds in the fourth grade, you're not the fastest kid either. <laughs> and the other kids would make fun of me because I wasn't the fastest one, because I couldn't win a race. By the way, by the time we got to high school, I was bigger than all of them. And I was the one they wanted on the line in the football, on the football team. I played the defensive end position. And I said, come on, little boy, little fast boy. Come over here and see what happens to you. I wasn't fast, but I became quick. And I could help some of those fast little boys find out what it was like being big when I landed on top of them. Isn't it amazing, though? They begin to make fun of you. What does that do to you? It makes you feel worthless. It makes you feel useless. And all through life, the devil will do everything that he can do to make you feel worthless. Go to church. I mean, go to lots of churches in this town and any other town, and what are they going to tell you? Let's pray. Oh, God, we are but worthless sinners in your sight. That is a bunch of bull corn right there. Oh, God, we're just such sinners. Really? Is that what the Scripture even says about you? You were maybe a sinner, but if you know Jesus Christ today, you're neither worthless nor a sinner. You are the redeemed, and you are a saint of God. But the church, you go to church, and the devil has infiltrated the church to make the people of God feel worthless, feel useless. When the Scripture says we've been redeemed from that worthlessness, Redeemed from that uselessness. Man. See, 
any life lived apart from Him is vain, but when we're connected with Him, we're no longer worthless, we're no longer useless. Oh man, I like this. I like this. The Amplified Bible says this, You know, recognize that you were redeemed, ransomed from the useless, fruitless way of living inherited by the tradition from your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ the Messiah, that like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. Precious. It says the blood of Jesus is precious. precious. What does precious mean? It means it's priceless. It's without cost. There is no way that any amount of gold, silver, money, diamonds, or jewels can ever replace that blood. It says that we've been redeemed. That, that was the price that was used to redeem us, to buy us. Precious. What, what makes something precious? Some asking questions that we just kind of take for granted. What makes it precious? What creates value in something? Number one, I think we can find value in something because of circumstances, right? If there's a drought, water becomes precious. The Bible talks about there was a famine of the Word of God. That's what makes things precious. Rarity makes things precious. If there's not any of it and you find one, that makes it precious. Beauty makes things precious. It, you know, if someone's beautiful like Marley is, they're precious. But now if, we, if we get down to what, what creates value? What creates that value? Not too long ago, I was talking with a lady, and she was, she was asking me about gemstones. Now, I do know something about them. And she said to me, she asked me, she said, what do you look for? What gemstone do you like? And I said, well, I like gemstones that others may not know anything about. I like Pariba tourmaline. She goes, oh, yes, they're beautiful. I said, my favorite, though, is probably what's known as a Podparaja sapphire. This is, if you've never heard of that, that's okay, but it's an extremely rare gemstone. It's a sapphire that is a pinkish-orange color, and they're very rare. There's... Pink sapphire is not that rare, but the pinkish-orange ones are very, very rare. And she said, oh, well, I have two of them. I said, you do? She said, yes, my grandparents uh, were gem collectors, and, and, and they, had, they, had, they left me with two of them. She said, the small one is six carats. I said, the small one. She said, oh, yes, yes, yes. The large one, she said, is 26 carats. I said, I would love to see it. She said, well, I'll bring it and let you see it. She said, it's in the vault. And one day when I get it out of the vault, I'll just bring it to you and I'll show it to you. I'll take it back to the vault. I said, that'd be wonderful. Well, a few weeks later, I see her with this 26-carat podparaja sapphire set in a platinum ring with about five or six carats of diamonds around it. Quite honestly, it's the most beautiful gemstone I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see a gemstone like this. Okay, she had an, an appraisal. The appraisal was from Christie's Auction House. And the appraisal listed the ring that it was in for, I think, $45,000. The appraisal of the gemstone, you know what it was worth? 
It said, priceless. Why was it priceless? What does that mean? There is nothing to compare it to. That's exactly right. There's only one of them. You will never see another gemstone that looks like this. It is priceless. Wait a minute. Jesus' blood is priceless. There is no other blood like his blood. The Bible says in him was the light, and that light was the life of men. What was his blood type? I'm thinking it's G positive. It's God positive all the way through. His blood type was determined by his father because we know that medically speaking, that's determined by the father. Who's his father? It's God. His blood is the blood of God flowing into his veins. It is, it is God positive. It is priceless. Oh, my. That means there's nothing like it in the universe. One drop of it. Just one drop. Falling from that cross redeemed me from every sin I ever sinned and ever will sin for the rest of my life. One drop shed at the whipping post healed me of every disease and every sickness that will ever come to my body. Priceless. Nothing like it in the whole universe. Nothing like that. God spent that. Now think about it for just a moment. So the value of the blood of Jesus is priceless. What's your value? Oh, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Oh, you know, I have all these flaws and all these faults. What determines your value? What? That's exactly it. What determines your value? Have you ever had your house appraised? What determines the value of your home? It's, what, it's, it's all these comps around your home. What somebody else was willing to pay is what determines the value. I read recently about a diamond. It's a 12-carat diamond called the Blue Moon. It's blue. If you've never seen a blue diamond, they're amazing. They're very rare. Blue moon diamond, 12 carats, flawless stone. So recently at Sotheby's about a year ago for $55 million. That big around. $55 million. Here's a thought. I'd never pay $55 million for a diamond. Well, maybe it's because you don't have $55 million. There's a good reason. If you had $55 million to spare and you could have a one-of-a-kind blue diamond and you'd be the only one in the world to have the diamond and you were interested in having diamonds and you loved your wife enough, you'd buy the thing. How much, how much is that diamond worth? Well, it ain't worth $55 million. Oh, yes, it is. Because it's determined. Who, who determined the value? Who determined the value? The guy who wrote the check, I'm telling you, that's who determines the value. Whoever pays, whatever someone will pay for something, determines its value. Here's the problem in the church today. 
God is great, God is big, we're worthless, and we're lucky to be saved. Wait a minute. How much did he pay for you? We don't know because it's priceless. If he paid for you with the blood of Jesus Christ, what are you worth? At least what the blood is worth. He's not going to pay for you if he doesn't think you're worth it. If he doesn't believe that the blood was a good value for you, he's not going to pay it. God's not dumb. He knows you're worth it. You are worth every drop of it. Now, if I know that, and the devil comes and says to me, Randy, you're worthless. I'm going to say, you're nuts. You don't determine my value. No human being can determine my value. Why? Because they didn't pay for me. If somebody walks up to me and says, you're worthless, you're useless, I'm, I have to say, well, you know what? You don't know because you didn't pay the price. It's worth it to God. You are worth it to God. If you don't know that this morning, you've got some knowing together. Here's the problem. People tend to base their value on things that change. If I said, who are you? Well, I'm a banker. What happens when you're no longer a banker? Think about these athletes that, that, we, that we read about. And, I mean, they're fantastic athletes, and, man, they are good. But when the day comes and they no longer can play the sport and they're no longer the great athletes, but they've been saying, I'm an athlete, I'm an athlete, I'm an athlete, what happens when they're not an athlete anymore? You find many of them are depressed. You find many of them have, have, have problems that are going on in their lives that are way greater than anything they've ever experienced before because they didn't know who they were. They based their identity on something that could change. Think about this. They came to John the Baptist. They said, who are you? Who are, what do you say about yourself? Who are you? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What was he saying? Here's what I do. How do I know, how do I know that? I'll tell you how I know that. He later on met Jesus. A couple of his disciples went to Jesus and said, what are you going to do about that? And he said, I must decrease and he must increase. Things are changing now. Now that the Messiah is here, he doesn't need a forerunner. John's identity was based on the fact that he was the forerunner. Later on, he said, he got two of his guys, a couple of his guys said, y'all go ask him, are you the one or do we need to look for somebody else? What was going on with John? I don't want to demean John or judge him in any way. But here John, we're, he was in prison. He's been preaching. He's been doing what God told him to do as the forerunner of Jesus. He, he began to mouth off to Herod. Right or wrong, I don't know. Got thrown in jail. 
Here he is in jail and Jesus is out preaching and all of his crowd is now following Jesus. And his question is, are you the one or do we expect another? And Jesus said, now y'all go tell him, this is obviously my paraphrase, you tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the dead are being raised. And what did he say? And blessed is he that is not offended by me. Now, there's no, offended, man. It just means to be tripped up. It means to be entangled, ensnared. John had an image of himself based on what he was doing, not who he was. If my value is based on what I'm doing for God, I'm in trouble because that'll change. The kingdom, however, is an unchanging kingdom. The Savior is an unchanging Savior. His blood will never change. And if I recognize who I am based on what He has done, what He has said, then that will never change. And if I know that, devil, the devil can throw anything at me he wants to, and I can take a stand. Isn't this fun? Who are you? When I was born, I'm going to tell you my whole life story. No, when I was born, my name was Randolph Chris Jones. That's the name I was born with. When I was three years old, I found out, and, and, and I, I knew my father. My father was a man by the name of Henry Michael Jones. H.M. is what they called him, H.M. Jones. When I was three years old, I found out that Henry Michael Jones, H.M. Jones, was a bad guy. How did I know that? My mom told me that. My grandparents told me that. When she divorced him, I found out he was a bad guy. So now I am Randy Jones. I'm the son of a bad guy. I was kind of ashamed of that. Even though I was a little boy, I was kind of ashamed of that. That here I am, just a little guy. And, and so, you know, they don't tell kids this, but somehow I'm thinking that it's my fault in some way and that Henry Michael Jones is a bad guy, so and I'm the son of a bad guy, and, and that's just bad, so I must be a bad guy. I didn't know what he did, but I knew I was a, a bad guy. Now, my great-grandmother, her name was Ethel. I called her Granny. Ethel lived in a trailer house in my grandparents' backyard. And every night I'd spent the night with, with, with Granny because I liked her better than anybody else in my family. Right. Ethel was a Church of Christ lady who loved Jesus with all of her heart. And every night they would say, who wants to spend the night with Granny? And I always said yes, and I always went out there. The others didn't really like it as much. I had an uncle that was a year... You know, by the way, I'm raised... North American heathen white trash. That's how I'm raised. So just so you'll know, in my background, um, you know, you don't want somebody preaching to you. But I loved hearing Granny preach to me. She's a Church of Christ lady who would take care of us during the day while my mom worked, and she'd be sitting in the rocking chair, and she just sing, she's humming to the hymns, you know? But all of a sudden, she's humming, and she's not saying English words anymore. She didn't even know what she was doing, but she's worshiping God with all of her heart. 
I loved her. I loved being around her. But I went to her trailer house every night, and every night she would read the Bible to me or whoever else was there. The other ones didn't like it as much as I did. I loved it. And every night she said to me, you are a man of God. Okay, now this is the saving matter of my life because I grew up thinking I was the son of a bad man. And that this, that H.M. was a bad guy. And then I remember my mom, after she divorced H.M., she would date all these other guys. And it was like they were just him all over again. From, in my mind, they're the same guy. I mean, they had, they used the, I mean, I learned how to cuss. I learned that bourbon was as good as water. I learned all these things as a little boy because that's just what I was around. I remember her dating one guy one time. We got in a car wreck. The car was on its side. And the guy, the first thing he says to my mom is, because they're dating, he looks at my mom and he says, do you have any gum? Because I don't want the policeman to smell the alcohol in my breath. Miss, that was my world. I knew all that was wrong and I was ashamed of it. I was ashamed of, of these men. I was ashamed of, of, my, of my biological father. I, I was ashamed. Then when I was seven years old, she married a man by the name of Roy Voigt. And Roy was a guy who loved my mom. And he got my sister and me just because he loved my mom. I think he was surprised at what it was going to be like to have kids. And, and, but he loved my mom. He took care of her, gave her a roof over her head, and, you know, took care of her. But I remember growing up with, with, with Roy. He adopted us finally. And it was sad because H.M., my biological father, didn't even put up a fight. And I'm like, Wow. I'm only seven, but, you know, these thoughts come through your mind. Because I asked my mom, I said, why didn't you ask, ask my dad? She said, oh, we tried to, but he never, he never responded. So I'm thinking, man, I, what's wrong with us that he didn't even care? She marries this guy, and this guy was a very proud man. He's still alive, but very proud man, very muscular. I'm a little plump kid. Remember, I told you I was the first kid to weigh, weigh 100 pounds in fourth grade. And so, you know, he's like all muscular, and he worked in construction, and, and he would say, he would say, let's go play catch. And I'm like, I don't want to play catch. Let's go play catch so you can be a man. Because, you know, if you catch a ball, it makes you a man, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> so we'd go into, and he was like a pitcher in fast pitch softball, and a pitcher in baseball. And so we'd go in the backyard, and we'd throw it, and here was the contest. See if you can catch 10 in a row. So we're playing along, and every, it didn't, it, without exception, this happened. If I got nine in a row, the next one was going to be a curveball. It was going to be some kind of ball that was too fast for me to catch, and I dropped it. And he always made fun of me. He made fun of me because I was heavy made fun of me because thinking and I'm sure he was thinking that if he made fun of me that would make me motivate me to either get skinny or to learn to catch or try harder or something you know I grew up just wishing I could catch 10 balls in a row I played with my kids I made sure they caught 15 I mean the, the goal the goal was 10 but we're catching at least 15 we're going to set that ball up so you can catch it every single time I grew up thinking I, I was no good. I was ashamed. I was always ashamed. Y'all mind if I'm personal with you like this? 
I was ashamed. I was always ashamed. I just wish I could catch the tenth one. I just wish that someone would, would say, good job. Way to go. You are great. See, because the blood of Jesus said I was great. The blood of Jesus said, good job. Now, I got born again when I was seven, but, but, but I still was ashamed. I was ashamed all the time. I was ashamed to bring friends to my house. I mean, you know, we lived in a pretty small house compared to the rest of our friends. It smelled like cigarette smoke and, and, and uh, uh, bourbon and dogs. That's what it smelled like in my house. We had a cat every now and then. And Tammy will attest to this. I mean, that's, that's just the way it was. You know, take a girl home, and, uh, you know, I think when I took Tammy home, I said, this is a girl I'm going to marry. He says something like, well, I feel sorry for you. And I said, Dad, don't say that about her. He said, no, I'm saying that to her. You know, you, they, they, that's the kind of thing that prevailed. Thinking, thinking it was funny, thinking that was comical, you know, thinking that that was okay, you know, just you grew up that way. By the time I got to high school, I decided, you know what, I'm going to show him a thing or two. And I decided if I would become the most popular kid in my school, there's nothing he could say. Well, I became the most popular kid in my school. By the time I graduated from high school, I went to a school called Coronado High School in Lubbock, Texas. And when I graduated, I was Mr. Coronado. You know what compliment I got? These grades aren't as good as they could be. Shame. Shame was always there. Always ashamed. High school's over. That was over too. I mean, you know, by the way, when you graduate from high school, it's like, who, who are you again? It doesn't matter what you did in high school. doesn't matter how great you were. When you get through, it's like, you went to my high school, really? Oh, okay. And so that was gone, and, you know, there was just all this shame that was going on. You know, but my great-grandmother taught me about Jesus, and I never veered from the reality that I was born again. I knew I was a Christian. I knew I was born again, but I still had that, this underlying thought of shame. I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed to be Randy Voigt. I was ashamed. I didn't know that Jesus' blood was so valuable. And I didn't know that that blood, that blood was shed for me. I didn't know that. Then when I was in my 30s, I began to listen. I, I, somebody gave me a cassette tape. Anybody remember what that is? Cassette tape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Handed me that. I plugged it in. And I'm listening to this guy named Norval Hayes. Anybody ever heard of Norval Hayes? Yeah. My brother Norval had the worst English you could ever hope to imitate. But he had this, he had this, this tape this guy handed to me. He said, the name of the tape was Talk. God talk. And in his experience, Norval went to heaven, and the Lord said to him, I'm thinking God might have did, spoken better than this, but the Lord said to him, Norval, my people don't never know how to talk right. 
And I began to realize I didn't know how to talk. I realized that I needed to improve my look. I needed to begin to see things differently. I began to listen to John Osteen. I began to listen to some, some preachers who began to tell me who I was. <coughs> began to emphasize to me that God loved me and that God wasn't looking at all those flaws and all those false secrets. What I had heard all my life was, the Bible says be ye perfect as your father's perfect. And you're not perfect, boy. What is that even talking about? I just helped somebody a lot, right? That, just sim that simply means to be wholehearted. Be wholehearted. God is wholehearted, wholeheartedly for me. He just wants me to be wholeheartedly for him. That's perfection. That's what God's after. Just my heart. That's what he wants. All of it. But even then, it was hard to get past this, this feeling of shame. You know, Tammy would ask me in our marriage early on, she'd say, why'd you do that? I just was ashamed. I didn't even know why I was ashamed. It's like I wanted to wake up every morning, look at the ground and go, I'm sorry. What for? I don't know. I'm just sorry. And the Lord began to deal with me about that. Began to show me who I was in Him. Began to show me that my value isn't based on anything but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, what God has done, is unchangeable. The Lord said, I am the Lord, I change not. The scripture says... In Hebrews 7, 24, But this man, speaking of Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. It's the same. It never changes. What the blood has done for me, what the blood has done for you, can never, ever, ever change. It can't happen. The Bible teaches us that, that, that we, because we're his sons, we have been sealed. By the precious blood, by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's not going to change his opinion of me. And their opinion of me matters little compared to his opinion of Amen. me. Do I know who I am? I can stand in the face of adversity. I'm not worried. I'm not, you know what? I wasn't worried when Obama was the president. I'm not worried now that Trump is the president. They're not my God. They didn't determine my value. My value is not based in the car that I drive. It's not based in the house I live in. By the way, I live in a nice house. We have, a nice, we have nice cars. It's not based on that, though. Because if the house was gone, the cars were gone, I still have been redeemed by precious blood. And that will never change. When the world comes and says... No, no, you can't speak in that name anymore. It doesn't matter. I'm still redeemed by precious blood. That doesn't mean that I can go out and just sin and do anything I want to do. No, no, no. It's because I understand that value. There's no way I want to go do all that stuff. There's no way I would ever want to walk away from him. Listen, if we know who we are, We'll never lose our muchness. We'll be who we are because of what he's done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, today I thank you for the precious, precious, 
blood of Jesus Christ. The blood. <laughs> Lord, there's no price we can put on it. The blood. Lord, when you went to market, you took the most valuable commodity in the universe and you paid a ransom for us. <laughs> and you said, I deem them worth it. I deem them worth it. And you gave the blood of Jesus and once and for all defeated Satan on our behalf. I thank you today. I thank you today for your word. Who are we? We're your sons and your daughters. We are in Christ. Father, I thank you. Now this morning, maybe what I've said is, you know, you realize you've been hard on yourself. You're not looking good right now. I'm not talking about physical appearance. I'm talking about what you're looking at. And you need to change the way you look. With nobody looking around, I, I, I'm going to just pray for you this morning. I believe when the Lord gives you a message to preach, there's anointing on the message. And when the prayer comes, that there's an anointing to receive what was preached. And you've been looking the wrong place, looking at the wrong thing. Just want you to right quick, put your hand up and put it back down. Because I'm going to pray for you. I already see a hand. I already see another hand. Another hand, another hand, another Oh, a lot of hands. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release the anointing. We release the anointing that these men and women will see who they are because they've seen what you've done. Lord, they would get past the shame, get past the curse, get past the name-calling that the devil's throwing at them. They would stand mighty men and women of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I give you thanks. We pronounce the blessing, the empowerment to rise and do what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you very much.